It's the election year and it's the economy, stupid. We've heard that before. So what is the state of the economy? We all sort of feel it at uh, our personal level with the cost of living. Is it a crisis? I don't know. Rise at least. And uh, the extra expenses that go with everyday life in housing, in, uh, in mortgages, in food uh, and basic services. So where is our economy at? Where is it tracking? If anything needs to be changed or reset, what is it going to be? What does it have to be? And uh, maybe also the role of cash, the diminishing role of cash. It's You, you get the feeling it's slowly disappearing. And I thought uh, a perfect person to have on Reality Check Radio to talk about the economy is Professor Rob McCulloch from Auckland University. And uh, we go back to National Business Review. Got to know each other there. We've had uh, quite a few chats over the time. I thought Rob would be great to get on. So we could just talk about this uh, uh, this whole thing with the economy. Stupid. So, Rob, good to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, is it the economy stupid? Is this uh, forget all the other issues? Basically, an e- economic election. Uh, yes, yes. In one line, I'd say it was, and that that's an important line you gave before the it's the economy stupid because it was coined by, I think, James Carvile, uh, who was this chat- strategist for Bill Clinton That's right. Uh, in his successful uh, presidential campaign. And he beat George uh, Bush, uh, President George Bush. And the idea was Americans had uh, got a bit uh, fed up with all these other issues in America, particularly, I think, the Gulf War and uh, uh, all these issues overseas and abroad and all matter of things. And uh, the Clinton campaign uh, worked out that actually Americans were just uh, wanted to uh, get through the day and be able to afford the, the cost of living. And uh, they didn't want to be into all these other issues. And uh, there's an incredibly close parallel, I think, there to uh, New Zealand because Ardern, uh, for me, symbolised that it the the theme that it was not the economy stupid. Uh, she her legacy was on non-economic issues. She focused on health outcomes during uh, the pandemic. If you read her uh, the script of her the speech she gave at ha- the Harvard graduation, um, where she was invited there, she didn't mention the economy once. It was on issues like gun control, uh, Christchurch, the terrorism in Christchurch, disinformation on the internet. She touched on abortion, global warming, climate change. It's like every issue you can think of, but she stayed away uh, from economics. And so I think the theme of her prime ministership was focusing, and she did very successfully uh, at the time because people were concerned about health during the pandemic. And those of us in like the economics fraternity were viewed as some of us as putting money ahead of human life. And that's a terrible thing to do. And she focused on these non-material things, the environment, health. But as you say, over the past year or so, uh, and especially since she left office, I think Kiwis now, and you see this in the ranking of issues which Kiwis consider most important. And it's official. The surveys put cost of living at the top of people's concern. And these other issues like the environment are dropping away. So has there been a disconnect at a political level then? Because, um, okay, there's a bit more talk about it now, but it's still it's still kind of issues like you were referring um, to just before related to what uh, Ardern was, was pushing. You know, mm. um, um, uh, 
pride parades and um, um, transgender issues and climate is huge. And I guess that has an economic edge to it as well, depending on what you believe. But um, surely the data that um, the the political parties and the politicians get must show um, where economics and uh, and, and personal sort of sense of, of, well, maybe not wealth, but just the ability to um, to navigate cost of living is is rising, and I don't know. I could have been missing something, but I don't really see any anything that looks like a strategy or a framework to deal with that. Bearing in mind, if we look overseas, um, mm. it, it might not be over. It it might tighten up even more. Uh, what mm. do you make of that? Well, I think you're exactly uh, correct, and many of us think this is a failure of modern politic politicians that they're only interested in uh they have a very short-term horizon but also what they're doing and i don't say this that i'm i'm just making this up because i've spoken with many of the politicians who are in power 20 30 40 years ago and those including a bunch of ministers of finance and they say look we you know we generally had an idea of what we wanted to do and they saw their job in politics as persuading the public to their way of thinking, that they thought this is the right thing to do, and we, we've got to persuade others. That's not how politics has been run uh, the last five or 10 years. They're doing daily polling, uh, a weekly polling. So the parties all have their private pollsters. Of course, the Nats have David Farrar, who runs Kiwi Blog. They're, they're polling uh, on the uh, uh, views on what are the most important issues, practically continuously and have got focus groups. In other words, the politicians are really following, they're not leading. So now Labour and the Nats have done all their polling. Um, they've neglected the economy now for actually both parties for decades, but their polling has suddenly shown, oh gosh, people now are not that interested in the virus anymore. They're all interested in the cost of living. Well, you know, the Nats and Labour, both of them haven't really done a whole lot on that issue. But because it's suddenly top of the pops and top of the polls, they're reacting and they're doing sort of brand management and marketing and they're giving speeches saying, oh, of course, the cost of living is the main issue we'll fight the election on. Well, it's kind of too late now, actually, in a way. They should have been doing this the last 20 or 30 years. But that's why the focus has changed. As you say, it's just gone on. It's straight from their own internal polling. I remember you know, chatting before with you, and, and I think you made the point a few times, that uh, really the last, and it's obvious, I guess, the last major reform period or event or whatever was the mid-80s. And that, that was a big deal. And it was because, what, New Zealand's back was really to the wall. Something yeah. had to give. Otherwise, it, it could have got a lot worse. I think many mm. people accept that. How far it went yeah. is a, a point of mm. debate. But then mm. it's been, what, asleep at the wheel since then? Yeah, asleep at the wheel for 30 or 40 years. Uh, if you asked what are the big uh, achievements of the two major parties since about 19, the early 90s, it's it's hard to name what they are. I mean, what have the Nats done? Can someone tell me what major policy they've implemented in the last 30 or 40 years? Um, Labour, also, it's quite hard. You could say uh, KiwiSaver and the Superfund are uh, uh, two uh, quite important things that were brought in by Sir Michael Cullen. By the way, he pretty much uh, copied, uh, they were originally those sorts of savings 
schemes were proposed by Sir Roger Douglas going way back. Um, Roger Douglas wanted a, a compulsory super scheme uh, that had it been in place would be 10 times bigger than KiwiSaver now, but Muldoon scrapped it. So they have their origins way back. But um, sure, those schemes have been, um, you know, there are a couple of things you can note. But, you know, what have the two major parties done to seriously address cost of living issues? Um, you may disagree with some of the 80s reforms, but it was a similar problem. High cost of living, the oil shocks, uh, high inflation. And they thought, look, what are the only known ways in economics to, to deal with these things? Um, well, deregulation, try to make industry more competitive, more efficient. Um, they uh, cut, cut the top rate of uh, tax. Uh, they tried to reduce inflation by making the Reserve Bank independent. So they did a whole bunch of things which are known in economics to reduce uh, price pressures. And for 30 or 40 years, we haven't had uh, really a follow-up. There's been virtually nothing. And I think now my view is a whole bunch of vested interests and powerful business groups, you know, from the supermarket chains, the banks, you can, the construction industry, you've got these price pressures have built up enough. And I don't think that the Nats or Labour have the guts to uh, address the heart of what, what's driving these these issues. Don't have the guts. That's interesting. What 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 prevents them from having the guts? Is it, um, um, I mean, obviously it's lobby power or something like that. I mean, uh, are they beholden to these interests to a level that we're not aware? Well, I think that Labour, uh, the unions are still uh, very powerful mm. in terms of Labour. That, that goes back virtually to the start of, uh, how the party was formed, uh, the labour movement. And yes, uh, from the teachers' union, uh, right across the the union, the civil service, um, the unions are extremely powerful. They've actually strengthened unions more by introducing this uh, new uh, industrial bargaining uh, legislation. So the unions got their way and they even strengthened uh, uh, the unions so I think, yes, uh, good old-fashioned uh, union power is at the heart of a, a lot of uh, what Labour is beholden to. And yes, I think you're also right with the Nats. I think there's a lot of truth that um, we know that they meet uh, too much than, that, than they should with uh, what they call sort of business leaders, business owners, big business owners. They say they need to to find out what they want. But of course, those folks are all wanting stuff out of the Nats and are lobbying. So there's a good deal of old-fashioned lobbying of the business interests from the right and the union movement from the left. So, so an, yes, an example yes. of that might be on the business side. I'm thinking um, the supermarket duopoly pressuring or lobbying the National Party to maintain that. Yes. Look, you go back, um, I mean, I've met with quite a bunch of National Party MPs and you kind of get to know how they think. And um, I haven't seen anything that reminds me of uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the president of the United States, 120 years ago. He was a Republican, so the equivalent of the National Party. And he wanted to break up the big monopolies in the US. And this is what the Nats are worried about now. Business will say, God, the Nats, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're becoming anti-business, so we're not going to support you anymore. Roosevelt had that problem 120 years ago. Uh, JP Morgan and others said, you, you know, why do you hate business? You're meant to be a Republican. 
And Roosevelt said, I don't hate business. I love you guys, but I want there to be an integrity in business. I want the, the public to believe in capitalism, to believe in free markets. And I want to promote the integrity of free markets. I want competition. So he said to JP Morgan, I'm actually saving your ass, Mr. Morgan. If you get your way, there's going to be a revolt against people like you. I'm actually ensuring there's an integrity in the system and you can be wealthy, but, you know, the public will actually think you're, you, you're wealthy because you deserve, you deserve it and you're providing a service, not that you have monopoly power. So and he won that argument. And mm. uh, I think the Nats have to get in their head that uh, they support free markets, they support competition, uh, that, and those sorts of things lead to lower prices. And there's a difference between being pro-markets and pro-business. They shouldn't be pro-big business. So I think the Nats still have trouble getting their head around that distinction. About the only uh, released uh, relief of cost of living announcement I've heard from the National Party, could have missed something, was Christopher mm -hmm. Luxon a, a week or two ago announcing you know, uh, uh, more assistance or more money for childcare, mm. um, mm. early childcare. And, mm. okay, um, that helps people um, go out and work, but what it does is it, it delivers your child into low-paid um, worker mm. environments, and mm. it makes family life potentially more of a strain uh, and uh, mm. more complicated, and, you know, that flows on to relationships and the functioning of families, mm. et cetera. Um, mm. But he, they seem to think that was like a king hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. not, is it? I mean, it's it's not a king hit. I think at all. that that I think that that virtually a very similar policy was promoted by Hillary Clinton when she ran oh. for president. More ch more, you know, child care and more paid child care. I mean, there's nothing original about it. Um, wh what are they doing? It's a cynical grab into sort of you know votes maybe from Labour. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing profound about it. It's not going to change the cost of living uh, crisis. It's not going to. There's no deeper kind of vision for the country behind that. Whatsoever. Is that a focus group response? Do you think? I would say so. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great example that maybe some of their polling has shown that that could run well and swing a few votes their way. And it's there's nothing more to it than that. Um, yesterday on the station, I spoke with. Uh, Oliver Hartwich of the um, New Zealand um, Initiative. And yeah. one of the things that came up in talking, because he's all about reforming New Zealand and, and he's, you know, they've thought through and done research over a decade, uh, what needs to happen, how it can be uh, done. And one of the things that he mentioned was the probably the greatest impediment to any sort of reforming of anything was the, first of all, the size and and then power I guess through that size and the people who are in there and running it of the public service. And mm. the way he described it, it was like this um, monolith sort of super tanker that didn't want to turn around, didn't want to stop and basically neutered any politician, uh, no matter who they were uh, from making, we're talking about, you know, politicians of the past um, of making any change or, 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 you know, playing their part to enable it. And it, it sounded to me like an incredible roadblock and like we've got a problem there. So mm. how do you hack into that? What's your view on that? Um, my view probably differs from Hartwich in a way. I'm not a huge fan of the initiative, by the way. Um, right. Okay. And my view probably well, why? differs from Why? Can I ask you why? 
because uh, I think ultimately they're a pro-business lobby group dressed up as a non-partisan right. think tank. Okay, that's, fair enough. That's um, uh, why. Yeah. And um, I used to attend their meetings on behalf of one of their members, um, Sir Douglas Myers, many years ago. So it's not like I'm anti, you know, saying this from the point of view of someone who's anti-business uh, mm, mm. or anything like, like that. Um, but I disagree with him in a sense, because you need, you know, for a government to work, you need the right people at the top who ultimately uh, the country's run by the prime minister, the cabinet. You need a fantastic parliament, you know, and I'm not partisan in the sense, I think, uh, uh, which is that maybe all our problems would be solved if the Nats came in and, um you know, we have all these brilliant national uh, uh, party MPs and they'd sort of sort it all out. Um, my impression is what's probably gone on is that there is weak leadership coming from parliament. I'd track the source of the problem more to the top. I'd go right to the top, um, to the, the quality of the members of parliament themselves. I mean, they call the shots. The ruling body in this country is parliament. And... An explanation may be that as the MPs have become weaker, that what's happened is almost from the Yes Minister comedy show in in England, that yeah. the ministers just don't really have a clue what they're doing. And Humphrey Appleby and the civil service, at some level, we've almost got to be grateful to them because the minister's just at a total loss. And they're kind of running rings around them and really governing the country. So I think what Howard is concerned is, is, I mean, where I would agree with Oliver is, I guess, that power has shifted maybe to the civil service in, in that sense, but probably because parliaments become so hopeless. Um, so is, I'm that a, the, I'm more, is that down to the political parties? Obviously, their selection process is uh, they have a very clear idea or, 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 or a kind of a profile that um, yeah. that people have to fit. Otherwise, you know, go, mm. go somewhere else. You ain't got a chance here. Or ultra the quality, safe, the, is it? The, ultra safe. The, the quality of the MPs. Yeah. And we all know that um, being an MP is not particularly attractive nowadays. Um, mm. You know, it, it, you know, I take these classes, teach these classes at the university. I, I would, you're hard pressed to find any cool, happening, smart young person who wants to be a member of parliament. Oh, I mean, they yeah. can't be bothered. They've got so many things going on in their life. And the idea of... Uh, at least if you come from, you know, if you come from Wellington, fine. But if you come from Auckland, the idea of going to Wellington every other week, um, just the whole thing doesn't add up. Mm. Uh, so I, I tend to blame the quality of our MPs for this sort of degradation of, um, yeah. Though it's hard to, to pick um, any point of difference when they're all the same and uh, all the same across the main parties. That's a that's a. Problem. I mean, I don't want to knock. I don't want to knock the civil service in the sense that we've got a lot to be grateful for the civil service in this country. In the sense that New, New Zealand's one of the least corrupt countries in the world, and mm. I mean, generally the civil service um, have a you know there's an honesty there. And uh, the facts are there's, you know, very little bribery and corruption in this country. So, you know, it, it is that the civil service does have quite a high level of integrity here. And compared with many other countries, it's not that in, inefficient. 
Um, so, you know, I would tend to blame more, yeah, the political leaders rather than the bureaucrats. Okay, uh, we've got about uh, nine minutes uh, remaining on this. So a couple more things mm. um, in no particular order. But mm. um, uh, I I remember even chatting with you, but also hearing mm. people uh, say this at the time, when the um, the money printing was going on, what, how, how mm. many years ago now? Two, two and a half years mm. ago. Um, you know, the, the presses were running hot that even mm. the guy or the or the gal in the street knew that that was not a very sensible thing to do and where it could take mm -hmm. us to inflation and and uh, and also, you know, where did that money end up going? How productive was it? All those sorts of things. Mm. Even the, the people in the street knew that, yet the Reserve mm. Bank didn't know that. Mm. How could that be possible? Well, they're incompetent. Uh, it's as simple as that. We have an incompetent central bank. Um, wow. And, <laughs> yeah, it's an incompetent organisation. Are they uh, printed too much money and ran too loose monetary policy 18 months ago? And uh, even the there were the chief economist at some of the uh, trading banks uh, in New Zealand, Karen, uh, uh, Sharon Zollner at the... Um, Chief Economist at ANZ was uh, being quoted in the media as saying price pressures are going through the roof in um, late 2021, early 2022. The Reserve Bank, at the time she was saying that, uh, didn't think there was any inflation coming. So they were warned. They uh, ran too loose monetary policy. A lot of the reason for our high inflation is the Reserve Bank. And now what they're doing is jerking the steering wheel in the other direction. And wanting to engineer a recession, in the words of the governor. And engineer. so having the engineer recession, yeah. So that's what he said we're trying to do. Um, so this is a deliberate recession. They want a recession. Reserve Bank wants a recession. Having inflated too much, now they're trying to stop the inflation, drive up unemployment and drive up interest rates and cause mortgage distress. So, you know, that's just not the way you should run an economy. Um, a more careful central bank governor would have never um, inflated as much as ordered 18 months ago, never printed $52 billion. Inflation wouldn't be as high now and interest rates wouldn't be as high. So it's an erratic uh, central bank. What about the knowledge and professionalism of those who are in the bank now at the top? Um, from your economist's point of view, are they are they qualified to be operating a central bank of a country like New Zealand? Well, most of them don't have high-level degrees in economics. So when I worked at the Reserve Bank, you had Arthur Grimes there with a PhD in economics from London School of Economics, John McDermott, PhD in economics from Yale University, uh, Grant Spencer had his master's from London School of Economics, uh, Alan Bollard has a doctorate, Don Brash had a doctorate from ANU, you don't have anywhere near that level of expertise or competency in e economics. So uh, I just... Uh, uh, why? I, Can I ask, why would that be? I mean, how come they've lowered the bar so much? I don't know either why, well, did, why, why that happened. I don't know why that happened either. So the, the, the um, strategies and policies of the Reserve Bank are being operated by people who might not even really know what they're doing. Yeah, that's my view. They don't know what they're doing. That's my view.
And increasingly, I think what's happened is they keep defending themselves on this line that, well, other countries have similar inflation rates. But I think that that's the heart of the issue. Their defense is other countries have inflation rates like ours. And that's what other central banks were doing. My impression is that when you don't know what you're doing, you copy others. And that's what you do at school. If you don't know your homework, you copy cheat. others. It's called yeah, cheating. Cheat. It's called cheating. And because they didn't know what they were doing, they copied what other central banks are doing. And so they made the same mistakes as others. Well, I was brought up in a country where I thought we were better than the rest. I thought we were exceptional. I thought being a Kiwi, you know, was something special. We were the first to do many things in this country. We were the, you know, Ed Hillary, the first to climb Mount uh, Everest. Even many of the moves, uh, you know, regarding um, the treaty settlements, that was, you know, that was a new thing around the world. Many, you know, countries had, had never, you know, this country was at the forefront of not just uh, efficiency, uh, the, the, we set up an independent central bank. No one else in the world had the same legislation as us, even on race relations, on equity issues, the first country in the world uh, to let women have the vote. You know, we were a country that I thought stood for something more. And what, in my view, institutions like the Reserve Bank have done is they've dragged us down to the level of sort of the lowest common denominator. They've oh, said, dear. well, other countries are printing money, so let's, why don't we print money? Other countries have, what? Other countries are in a terrible state. I mean, do we want to be like them? Do we want high unemployment and high inflation and high inequality? Do we want the mess that exists in many other countries? Well, I think that's what the institutions like the RBNZ have done to us. Um, just in the couple of minutes we've got left, um, people, you know, you go to the odd shop now and you open your wallet and you get out a 10 or a 20 and it turns out they don't take cash. Mm. So I'm wondering if you've given any thought to the disappearance of cash and uh, just quickly, should it be something that we are concerned about or do we just have to accept that, you know, the way money is exchanged is, is always going to change and obviously the digital world's going to have an effect on that. But it means that anonymous transactions are essentially taken away, right? Is that a human right, do you think? Yeah, well, I'm all in favour of cash, and I agree with you that um, this idea that the cashless society, what that means is they can electronically track every single thing that we do. And uh, it's an outrageous invasion on you know privacy, it takes away fundamental freedoms. To be fair to um, the uh, our good old Reserve Bank, I think they have stuck up somewhat for cash. They, they have published some articles on it saying they do believe it's important that we retain cash and don't move to a cashless society where everything is paid for on a card. Um, and yes, I agree with you. I think it is sort of a fundamental uh, right that we should have, that we can conduct ourselves without people snooping into every single transaction, which, um, and pretty much now they do know 90% of the transactions we do. And, uh, you know, so we've lost a lot of that. You've had too many burgers this week mm. or something like that. Um, mm. I, I'd, I'd like to have another chat, get mm. back on in the uh, not too distant future. I, I want to try and um, hear what you have to say about correcting some of the economic problems. What, has to be done and what sort of pain 
could be involved and then you know how long does it take to see the results of that because i think that's um that's something people that they think about and again an election year you can measure off policies against that sort of information so i'd like to have you back rob if that's all right sometime soon thank you paul